0: Good morning, how are you? Good, how's it going? Doing really well. So thanks for jumping on. wanna thank everybody else for jumping on right now too. Uh, so today we're talking about pricing listings. We're talking about how to price it correctly. So right now, Jeff, we know we're, we're in a little bit of a shifting market. We know that for the last um, couple of years, year and a half, two years, maybe a little bit longer, we could price it at kind of whatever it would sell. If it was in the realm of possibility, it was gonna get offers, multiple offers potentially even over asking price. Even the houses in super poor condition, there were, everything was selling. Would you agree with that?
1: 100% agree. All you had to do is put it on the market and you would get an offer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So now we fast forward to present day and things, some things, now there's still some houses and different price points in that that are sitting or that are selling quickly. Other houses though are starting to sit a little bit longer. So, what we want to dive into today is really pricing a home correctly, the importance of pricing a home correctly. And then in future sessions here next week or the following week, we're going to talk about price adjustments. So, with pricing a home correctly, Jeff, do you want to dive into kind of like what are the four things we focus on to be able to pull a price together to price it correctly?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, there's going to be three specific models that we use, and then we do a manual calculation of the dollar per square footage by looking at every single comparable home that is sold that we want to manually pick out. So the three models that we use to first start out with is the first we go into realist from the MLS, we'll pull the tax record, we'll look at what that real AVM, and we'll look at what the different assessment values, and that'll give us a good idea of what our first kind of estimate might be. So you're looking at the estimated value in the AVM uh, within the realist tax record and the report. Now, the next model that we go to is through RPR. So that's something that as long as you're licensed, you have access to that model, we'll be able to pull the RPR, uh, RVM from whatever that specific house actually is. So now we have two different numbers. The third that we pull is from Zillow. That's gonna be the most public facing. And the thing to remember with Zillow is that it's a good first place to start, but typically on average, this one is usually much higher than what the house will sell for. But the challenge that we have to overcome is that because this is the most public facing model, we have to talk about it. Because if all we do is talk about the two models that we have that we have access to behind the scenes as realtors and as licensed professionals, the sellers out there don't see those models. And so that's why we have to bring in Zillow to kind of average out those three and then the fourth which is by far the most important is manually calculating your dollar per square footage by going in and looking at the exact specific home comparables that we want to use so we like to pull a really tight range on those comparable home sales so we'll start within the first quarter mile radius Uh, we want to look at typically the last 365 days and you want to find things that are specifically in their subdivision now if you have a really small subdivision of only you know 10 or 20 houses then you obviously have to go broader but if you've got subdivisions where there's hundreds of houses, that's definitely really good comparable information because it's all coming from the same place. And property values can vary drastically in some cases and locations based off a of subdivision. So this is why it's extremely important to go through though and pick out the exact comparables that you want to use manually because the other three models that I talked about, all those are doing is pulling an average dollar per square foot that has sold. It looks at the size of the houses. It looks at the sold properties but it's only as smart as a computer system can be. That computer system has never been inside any of those houses. So they're using all the public uh, available information to them that they can use within their algorithms to pull and pros- like figure out some random number to throw out there. And it may not be actually very relevant. So you have to make sure when you're doing your dollar per square footage calculation that you're picking homes with the same exact uh, like style, for example. You can't compare a ranch to a two-story and compare that square footage because obviously your square footage is typically going to be more on a two-story, but you can't Say that that's going to be the same price that a one story ranch, main floor living, no steps, is going to sell for in the market. So that's why that step, that fourth model of actually picking specific comparables to use, is extremely important. Uh, And it can make or break, honestly, some of those models if you know that there are huge swings or outliers in some cases and those numbers are throwing you off.
0: So let me ask you this. So, okay, let's go back. Let's just, real quick, just repeat. So, RPR, Realtor Valuation Model, which is in Maris or it's, Maris. System, it's system within Maris. You're pulling the realist tax value price, the AVM, from the tax records and realist from the MLS. You're pulling the Zestimate, and the reason you're pulling the Zestimate is because the general public it's general public facing. So when you go on an appointment, the seller might say, "Well, Zill, even though we know the confidence score that Zillow has for the property is very low, typically in most areas, the seller might say, "Well, my Zestimate says $500,000. So we want to have that in our valuation model. And then you're saying the final and the most important is price per square foot. So I would, yeah, totally agree with that. So price per square foot when comparing those homes, we'll want to pull like best, best practice would be pull homes from the specific neighborhood and not go outside of the neighborhood if possible. Correct. Exactly. You want to
1: find, so like take the city, for example, if you're in St. Louis city block by block, property values are going to change. You might have some properties that are selling for 200 or 300,000. You might have some that are selling for under 100,000. If those cluster of properties all fall into your quarter mile radius, your dollar per square footage is so skewed, it's not even funny because you're not directly comparing properties either on that block, say they're rehabbed houses versus not rehabbed houses uh, in the level of condition that those properties are in. Does it need a full rehab? Is it halfway done? Is it all the way done? Now, when you come to the county, similar situations happen, but it's less drastic than what we see in the city. But it's the same concept because you can have $200,000 properties in one subdivision. You can have $350,000, $400,000 properties in the subdivision next to it. Now, to directly compare those two isn't fair based off of the age of the house, when it was built, the subdivision in general. So you have to know what your comparables are that you're picking. It's not as simple as like, okay, I'm going to put my address in, I'm going to draw my quarter mile radius, and then voila, whatever shows up. If I'm looking for three-bedroom homes, not all three-bedroom
0: homes are created equal. Yeah, agreed. How many how many comparables do you want in your MLS report? How many active, how many under contract, how many sold? I,
1: I want to find as many as I possibly can. Now, the issue is that back... A couple years ago, we could probably find five actives, five pendings, five solds easy. Now we're finding like one active or two active, and maybe one pending, and then 10 sold. So you need to find I'll say this you need to find enough to be able to make the case that you can say you know what you're talking about, but you have to have, I would say, at least five sold properties in general just to be able to go off on those. And the other thing that I've been getting in the habit of doing too is I'll print. On one sheet of paper, all of the sold properties. Because if the neighbor says, "Well, what about my neighbor's house down the street?" That little do they know was a two bedroom and or a a two story, and their house is a ranch. That one sold for X price. Or worst case scenario, they're a two story, and theirs is the neighbors is a ranch, and the neighbor's house sold for more. Then we can have that conversation because. If all you do is only print off like your super narrow scope of everything that's a match and the the person that you're on the appointment with brings up a house that you're not familiar with, it doesn't make you look very educated on the market. So that's the one thing I've learned and picked up on is because I made that mistake many times that I only bring properties that match exactly what it was that was directly comparable to theirs. And then I get caught off guard because I wouldn't know exactly what house that they were talking about. Now, when you print everything, you can go through and you can say, okay, well, the neighbor's house, yeah, they might have listed for 400000 but they actually only closed for three fifty. Now you're swinging the tide of the conversation back to you being an expert and knowing your market and knowing that area really well. So that would be the one thing to do is print everything that shows up first off in the last 365 days, have that kind of in your back pocket for when that conversation happens. It might not happen on the appointment, which if it doesn't, no big deal. But if it does have that. And then when you're prepared to present your information, I would definitely try to find like at least five good comparable properties. And if you can't find five and you have to stretch it a little bit, feel free to stretch it a little bit. Like There's nothing that says you have to have this certain amount of number of houses to match. However, you can't walk in there with one comparable property and say, this is what we're going to list your house for. That doesn't work either. So right. you need some kind of sliding scale and range. So I, I would say you never want to go in with less than call it three or four. But if you've got five, six, seven, you're in great shape. Uh, if you've got more, awesome. But just make sure that you're not sitting there going through uh, 10 houses that don't that aren't relevant. right? It doesn't make yeah. sense to have 10 and have five of them be irrelevant. So yeah. in that case, don't bring stuff that's not
0: going to help you. So that's, yeah, I find best practice is five active, 500 contract, five sold. And, and if you get more than that, it starts to get too, it's just too much, it's too much data. To your point, having knowing everything about that subdivision is very important. Knowing about all the past sales in the last year, even going back a little bit further, very important. And they don't have to be on your comparable report, but you have to have them and be knowledgeable about them in case the seller brings it up. So we did have a question, but he said, thanks for answering. It says, what do you do if you don't have five comparable properties to share with the seller? So, so you did answer. It's just, you need to find as many as possible.
1: Yeah. Now the other thing to do, so say you're in an area that might be like, sometimes this happens in rural areas, but this is also a bad example. But what I would do, if you can't find five, instead of a quarter mile radius, you can try to broaden things to a half mile radius. And then instead of 365 days, you can go back, maybe go back a year and a half maybe go back two years. If you're trying to focus in on a specific subdivision, like it, it's all in relation to how many houses are directly comparable, like based off the subdivision and based off that area. So if you don't have five, broaden the search to a half mile, and then figure out if you need to go back a little bit further. Now, if you go back two years and you find a property that's sold, and we know home prices have gone up 20 plus percent over the last two years, you need to be able to have that conversation because a $300,000 house that sold two years ago could be a $350,000, $360,000
0: house today. Good point. Yeah, so be aware of that. If you're going back beyond six months or a year, pricing could look a little bit different today than it did back then. And another thing I see a common mistake a lot of agents make is that with their comparable report, they'll add in things like if there was a foreclosure in the neighborhood. So they're going to put that foreclosure that was in terrible shape You know, it was just an awful shape. needed all new flooring, needed holes in the walls. The appliances were gone. You know, it just smelled terrible. Needs a ton of work. That totally skews your price per square foot. So that's something to keep in mind too. When you're doing these pricing comparables, you need to really compare apples to apples type properties, similar condition. Um, Don't throw a foreclosure in there that might've sold for $75,000 less, but needed $75,000 in updates, because that's going to totally throw off your numbers. And what's going to happen is, your price per square foot is going to be significantly lower than what it should be. Your price is going to be way off. And that's when people get into that challenge too. When we do the average of the RPR, the AVM, the Zestimate, and the price per square foot, the price per square foot can be so far skewed from those other numbers because they threw that in. So talk about that for a minute because what we do is we average, we take those four numbers, basically add them all, divide them by four, and that gives us an average of where the house in updated condition should be priced, correct? That's exactly
1: right. And what I'll say, the most important thing in this case is don't be afraid to strike out your outliers. So if you have something that looks so totally left field, that's drastically different from everything else, you need to strike it, you need to get rid of it. Because that'll make your data and everything that you're using for your calculations much more accurate, much more relevant. So this also applies to the models too. Because if you have a model that's $120,000 different higher or lower right like that's an outlier there's there's three models that are somewhat close together but you've got one crazy outlier like you can strike that outlier and maybe then you only average three of those models together make sure that you're still presenting it and you're saying okay this is what this model shows this is why it's an outlier we're not going to include it in our in our calculation then you can actually have a much more accurate number so it's just as important to take things out than it is to include certain things if that information is wrong and it doesn't help you and it throws off your numbers.
0: Yeah, great point. And so what do you do in that situation if you have, let's just say your price per square foot is significantly different than your other three models. So price per square foot yeah. 75 grand off, some crazy number, 100 grand off. What, what do you do in that situation?
1: Yes, so that's a very good point because we see this a lot in new construction. Uh, new construction is very, new. So these models aren't always very accurate whenever it comes to the one-year-old house versus the 30-year-old house versus the 60-year-old house. like Typically, it's not taking into account the age of these houses. It's going by square footage and what it's sold for. So that's where you have to take into the external factors that are influencing the actual price of that specific house. And you have to be able to make changes on the fly. And whenever you get to the property, it could be as simple as getting to the property. And you know that that property has just been rehabbed and it's the first rehabbed on the subdivision. Like you have to know that you're not comparing apples to apples. You're going to use everything else as a baseline. And whenever you talk to the seller about what you should list it for, then you have to tell the seller we're testing the market and you have to be confident in your delivery of that, that we are testing the market. Markets either going to accept the price or reject the price and, you're going to do your best to test it. Now, that's not always what some sellers want to hear. However, if you can make the case for why these numbers may not actually be relevant to their specific house, they will trust you. That's going to build trust. That's going to build confidence. And you're going to get the listing because you're going to be able to have these conversations much more on a higher level than somebody that walks in and says, hey, here's five properties that sold around you. This is the dollar per square footage. This is what we should list it for. So if you can go deeper into why these numbers are relevant or why they aren't relevant in some cases, that's just as important. What I will say though is like don't go so far deep into the weeds about every single little detail about every single property, because the longer that you drag that conversation out, the more likely you are to lose them.
0: Agreed. So I think it's so what I always teach too, it's super important to know everything about the properties. You should know everything backward and forward about those properties. And like we use a service called Cloud CMA, our team does where when you guys go on the appointments, you're able to show them the interior photos, everything like that. That should be like 15 to 20 seconds on each of those properties. Short, sweet description about it. You should know everything about the property in the event they start asking more questions about it. You can speak intelligently about it. That's why I always recommend too, the preview active comparables. Because if that's an important thing, if you have active comparables and you go preview them and you know everything about those homes, when you're sitting in the kitchen table now, you can say, okay, I've been in this property. It's got this 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 I've been in this property it's got this 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 I've been in this property it's got this that's sending a signal to the seller that hey this guy's a market expert he knows my neighborhood he's in touch with everything going on in my area so spend 10 minutes previewing each of those properties if you have five of them it's going to take you an hour go preview those properties and get to know them really well because I also think that helps with from a pricing standpoint too so what happens Jeff when you walk into a property you've got a predetermined price let's say you pull your four numbers. Price per square foots 525. All the rest of them are 500, give or take. Well, you walk into the property, and so so an updated fair condition. This thing should be around 520, 525, something like that. But you walk in, and you thought you're under the assumption had a finished lower level, which all the other comparables did, and it doesn't because um, it hasn't been on the market in a long time. But I don't know. And also like the conditions terrible. It's all original stuff. And all of your comparables are updated bathrooms, updated kitchens. And yours is like builder grade basic hasn't been touched in 25 years. How do you then show that number and then say, well, wait a minute, your house is actually worth less. Right. Okay. so this is a fun
1: conversation to have because most of the time. The numbers of what we prepare for, something in that house is different. So that's whenever I walk through the door, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What is different about this house and the numbers that I know I'm going to present to them? Because that's why you're there. You are there to look around, look at the condition, look at what is inside of the house that would help affect the sale. So to me, if I'm going in and I have an expectation that my numbers were, it's a half million dollar house, but it needs a lot of work. I am immediately going to start framing the conversation around what are the ages of all of the things in the house? You know, when's the last time that you had updated the kitchen? When's the last time that you updated the flooring? Or when was it installed? So that's something that's very effective. It's like, tell me about the last updates that you've made in the last five years. Oh, we haven't done anything. Okay, right? Like now you're laser being honest. And so that's what I'm trying to find is whenever I'm walking through, I'm asking questions about the ages of things. You're definitely going to want to try to find information in that case uh, about like the age of the furnace, the air conditioner, the water heater, the roof, because if they haven't done anything to this house, all of those things are dollar signs whenever we go putting this on the market. And you're going to use all that information and the answers that you're getting from the questions when you're walking around with them, when you're sitting down at the table and you're talking about the pricing. So after we walk around, they tell me, you know, nothing's been updated in the last 10 years. I say, okay, great. No worries at all. We're going to sit down. When we go through the pricing, I always am framing it. This is what the house would sell for in an updated condition going on to the market. And so everything that we've talked about that isn't updated, I haven't put a dollar value necessarily on those items yet, but I'm at least hinting and foreshadowing that what I'm about to talk about Is the price of the house in an updated condition? And so we know that if they're not updated and they've admitted that they haven't updated anything in 10 years, it's a seamless transition as far as the conversation goes. Now, if it's, hey, here's these numbers. Oh, by the way, your house is old because it's not updated and you're going to get less. That's a terrible way to have that conversation. So you need to build them up based off the condition of the house, based off the year and age of everything that's in there. And then you're going to have a totally separate conversation about this is what the house will sell for in its updated condition. What we have to do is test the market and allow for someone to come in and make these updates and make these changes so that the house would be worth X price that I'm presenting to them. Here's what a budget might look like in order to do that, whether it's $50,000 or whatever. And now you're looking at a $450,000 listing as opposed to a $500,000. That's what you have to figure out. And you have to do that on the fly if you haven't been able to do that over the phone at all. Like say you don't know anything about the house and you're going in blind. The easiest way to figure some of those things out is to try to have that conversation. You know, tell me about the updates that you've made whenever you set the appointment. So now you can prep a little bit and you're not going in blind and know a little bit on what to expect. So you might tailor your comparables that way. Uh, but you have to immediately walk in and figure out, are my numbers relevant to this house? Or do I need to make some adjustments on the fly? Most of the time, you're going to have to make adjustments. So that's just something that you get used to doing. But that's the way that I do it is, you know, encourage them about the condition of their house. Now, if they say, well, my neighbor's houses are selling for $500,000. I want to sell my house for $500,000. Then you're going to have a conversation about what updates they're going to make in the house, like, are they gonna redo the kitchen? Are they gonna, you know, do the finished basement, right? Like then that becomes dollar signs to them out of pocket, time, cost and energy. And if they really wanna do it, cool. Most people don't though. And what we always say is that it's usually not worth making some of those updates because we know what the market looks like right now. We don't necessarily know what the market, what the interest rate, what everything is gonna look like three months, six months, nine months from now, whatever their horizon is, if they wanna make all these updates in the house. And there's no guarantee that after they make those updates on the house that they're actually going to get that money back out. And so for me, I frame the conversation that way of we want to protect your investment, any money that you're putting into this house, we want to make sure that you can get out. So it's, it's definitely a multi-step conversation, but most of the time things are not as you prepared them. So you have to be
0: able to adjust on the fly. Now are you too? Yeah, that's, that's, those are great points. And are you seeing that, um, as you're going through kind of your cloud CMA and that, and you're talking about the other properties, the comparables. Now, let's just say the house here and they went 500,000, um, updated fair marketing condition is worth 500,000, but it's got, again, like builder grade cabinets, 25 years old, vinyl floors, carpet, all builder grade stuff, bathrooms haven't been touched. All of the houses that are comparable are 42 inch cabinets, updated granite, hardwood floors, updated bathrooms, new appliances, all of that stuff. So as you're going through that new HVAC, new roof, right? And you're saying that, okay, this property, it's a four bed, two bath, 3,600 square feet, uh, whatever it is, right? It's got updated kitchen, 42 inch cabinets, granite, updated bathrooms, new HVAC, new roof. As you're pointing those things out, are they self-discovering and being like, oh, wait a minute. And they can see the photos of the house too, through your cloud CMA report. Are they starting to self-discover and thinking like, have people ever been like, yeah, maybe we can't get 500 one hundred percent
1: because that's where you know you've got them when they say yeah i know someone the next person needs to put some money into this house in order to update it right like you know you've got them right there because then they've self-discovered that okay i'm not a fully updated house i don't look like all these houses in the pictures i don't have the nicest upgrades compared to some of these other properties that's when you know you've effectively had that conversation it's when they say well you know, my house is worth whatever the price is still that you didn't get them. Like you didn't do something in there to convince them that their condition is different than the comparables. And so whether that's going through and breaking down step-by-step step, like you said, and talking about size of cabinets, talking about, um, th- talking about it room by room, like talk about the kitchen, talk about the flooring, talk about um, the systems. Like you've got to break those things down for them to self-discover. Uh, but most reasonable people do. And that's the nice thing is that as long as you're presenting the facts and you're presenting the data, the convincing is through that. And Mm -hmm. when you talk about it in a way that is matter of fact, as opposed to your opinion, none of this is my opinion. It's not my opinion, what the size of the cabinets were in the house in your neighbor's house that sold for whatever the price was, right? Like that's a fact. Yeah. So that's what you want to, that's what you want to focus on is these are the facts. This is what the market accepted. And at the end of the day, it's all about testing the price anyway. So that's where you go with it. You have to test the price. We'll, we'll know within the first week if the market's accepting that price or rejecting that price based off of the number of showings that we have on your
0: property. And mm. then you go from there. Yeah, great point. So something too, like when we, we put our team put that report together as far as the the four, the four, the four um, whatever you want to call it, this, this estimate, the you know AVM, the RPR, and price per foot. Now, what happens if you've got that number, let's say it's 500,000, you sit down with the seller and you say, you know, Mr. Sasella, I've got some pricing information I'd like to share with you before I get into that. Do you have a price in mind you'd like to get for their house? And they say 600 grand. Your price is showing 500. Do you show them those numbers first or do you dive into comparables first and start showing them the comparable properties?
1: I'm going to ignore what they just said and I'm going to start the presentation because it's irrelevant at that point. If you if I know that you are so far off, I know I've got work to do. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get that listing. Right, so now this is a me thing. It's awesome that you want six hundred for your house. I'm not the one that's gonna list it for six hundred, right? Mm-hmm. So I know I'm not the right fit if we're sitting at a half million dollars and that's where our numbers are showing. You want hundred thousand dollars over that, right? So now I know that I need to make a really good case of what we should list this house for because it's awesome that they want six hundred. They probably want seven hundred too. But the reality is, what are we going to sell this for? And that's what we're there for—is to tell them what the fair market value is, what we would do whenever we put it on the market, and convince them, you know, that the fair market value is not six hundred; it's actually closer to five hundred or five twenty-five or whatever. Mm -hmm. And say, in that case, it's really five hundred. We get them down to five twenty-five. Then I'm going to say, you know, we still have to test the market at this price. That would be the highest price that a home in your neighborhood and subdivision has sold for. So we are testing the highest limit of what anything is ever sold for in your neighborhood. Are you okay with that? And if they say yes, okay, cool, fine. We will know within the first seven weeks if the market is accepting this price or if the market is rejecting this price. If the market rejects the price, seven days. What's that? Seven days. Yeah, seven days. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> seven days. So one week within the first week, if we don't have any showings on this property, we know that the market could be rejecting our price. By 10% or more. And that's just something you've got to start preparing. Like you're planting the seeds to have those price adjustment conversations if you know that you're taking a listing high. You don't want to take the listing high if at all possible because it does no one any good. You're wasting your time on an overpriced listing. The seller is disappointed and upset that they're not getting showings because the market's rejecting the price. At the end of the day, everybody's wasted time and money because it didn't sell, especially if you didn't have a good job of preparing them for an adjustment. Because you knew going into it that that it was a little bit high. So it's all about how you set up your next steps after that. Um, But for me, most of the time, a lot of sellers will say, well, that's why you're here. It's like to give me a price. Like, awesome. Like, that's perfect. That's what you really want. Like, yes, you're exactly right. That's why I'm here. Let's get started. Um, And and those are the best ones to work with because they usually listen to you. You know, it's it's, sometimes it's more difficult to you know, they looked on Zillow, and they saw their neighbor's houses are listed at a certain price. And those houses have all been on the market for two or three weeks and haven't sold yet. But that's what they're comparing the price to, right? Mm-hmm. So now you know, you've got a little bit of work. Um, And sometimes that's all it is. It's that, you know, hey, I saw my neighbor's house listed for 600. And I know they sold well, it actually sold for 550. Did you know that? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Right? Like, boom, now you've handled that. So yeah. it can't be things that are super simple. So that's why I don't put a ton of weight into what they want for the house in the very beginning, because you can want as much as you want. If if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense.
0: And that's what we're there to talk about. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's very important to always ask because yes. half the time they're going to give you a price, half the time they're not. When they do give you a price, ask them, say, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. How did you come up with that number? Well, I saw it on Zillow. Or my neighbor's house, to your point, sold for 600 grand but maybe the house didn't sell for 600. They just heard it did, you know? So always ask if they have a price in mind, half the time though they're gonna say, that's why you're here. You're absolutely right. I put some pricing information together. And we're gonna to go over half the time. They're gonna give you a price, ask them how they came up with that price. Then you know, if you're in the realm of possibility and where your pricing is and where their heads at. So uh, very important questions to ask. What else is, anything else you wanna add in on pricing? Because right now I think pricing is more important than, well, not more important than ever before, It's more important than it has been in the last two years. That's for sure. So, people, this is a skill set, and you can crush your listing presentation and get into great rapport with people, and you can have them sold on working with you through from your listing presentation. And once you get into pricing, if you blow it there, or if you if you know they say I want seven hundred thousand, your comps are showing six hundred. You share with them it should be six hundred. You share with them why, and then you say okay, let's just test it at seven hundred. They're going to lose confidence in you. That's way too big of a gap. If they want six ten and you say okay, let's test it at six ten and your comps are showing six hundred, no big deal. But they're going to lose confidence and start thinking like, does this person really know what they're doing? So pricing listings can be won and lost on pricing. Uh, it's not just about the presentation. So anything else you want to add in? or you kind of in your experience, things that have happened? Yeah,
1: I would say so a couple of things to add. The first is that if you can find really significant numbers to list a house price at, you should do that. So what I mean by that is that if you've got a $300,000 house, don't list it for 305 like listed for 300, that's the statistically significant price. If you're at a $300,000 price point, a lot of times buyers are set up on you know $25,000 home search increments. So it could be like 300, 325, or 275. And if you're priced at 300, like when I go in to set buyers up on a home search, I'm setting them up on somebody that's looking from 250 to 300. So that house would show up in my home search. That means if you're at 305, you immediately cut out that buyer pool. The other thing too, is that if you're a 299.9 and I set up somebody on a home search for 300,000 to 350,000, what did I just do? I just cut out that person, that, that listing from the home search of mm-hmm. that buyer group. So you want to find really strong, significant numbers to list things at. And that's why I'm a big fan of going in at like at 300 or 275 or 325. I'm not a big fan of the whole 900 thing. Uh, I get it, but I'm not a big fan of it because that's not how I set up home searches. That's also not how lenders pre-approve buyers. So Mm -hmm. use the numbers to your advantage. You can literally double the amount of buyer pools that you list a house and get in front of if you use a statistically significant number like that. Um, The other thing that's more relevant and pressing now are how the interest rates come into the equation and affect the pricing and most importantly, the affordability of a house. So we talk about a general rule of thumb is that if the interest rates go up one percentage point, that affects purchasing power uh, by 10%. Mm -hmm. So if you use an example of a $300,000 house, if I'm a $300,000 house and it's a year or two ago and my interest rate's 3%, uh, I can afford $330,000. I might even be able to afford $360,000 on that house because my interest rate is so low at 3%. Now, if you look at the numbers there, $300,000 on the sale on the list price of the house if my interest rates at 3 percentage points what does that do if my interest rates at 4 percentage points what does that do if my interest rates at 5 percentage points now that $300,000 house at 3% could have sold for 360 that $300,000 house at 4% might sell for 330 that $300,000 house at 5% is 300 call it and if it's 300 and a 6% interest rate maybe it's a 270 house Like that's a broad range based off of what the interest rates are and the affordability are of buyers. What are we using comparables at? We're using comparables at 3% interest rates. We're using comparables at 4% interest rates. We don't really have good comparables at 5% and 6% interest rates. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't make sense to use the highest overpriced house that was listed at 300, but it sold for 360, and those buyers had an interest rate at 3%. Like That doesn't make sense when everybody's interest rate is double that (laughs) right now. Because that's a forty, that, that's a, that's a huge swing as far as affordability goes, and you're talking ten percent or twenty percent. So that's one key thing that I've been looking at is that if I see something that sold or listed for three hundred, but it's sold for three sixty, it doesn't necessarily mean that I should use comparables at three sixty because your interest rates were drastically different at that point in time, and your buyers could afford more and have literally the exact same monthly payment. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I'm dealing with on my end. I don't have a huge, really good answer to how to. Figure out those numbers easily, but it's something that you need to consider. Is that if you're using prices of homes that sold and it was sixty thousand dollars over a listing price, you can't tee your buyers and you can't tee your sellers up to say, "Okay, we're going to go get you ten offers on the table, and we're going to go get you fifty thousand dollars over," because that's what your neighbor did last year. And that's something that you have to have really strong conversations on because now it's like we have two offers on the table and it's five thousand dollars over and that's still a good offer. You need to accept it. It's the, we don't play the waiting game of, well, should we wait and try to get more offers on the table? Because more, most of the time, in my experience, the first offers on the table and the first showings that get in there, those are the most serious and those are the most motivated buyers. So when it comes to pricing the house, what those people are offering, chances are is what you're going to get. So that's something that we're dealing with like actively right now. Uh, that is definitely different than the last
0: year or two. Yes, I think right now, too, more than ever, it's important to set the expectations with the sellers that we are in a little bit different market depending on the price point. So, I would definitely be looking at that and seeing that in the price point of the listing you're going on, what are the average days on market? What are the list to sale price ratios? Is the average, like if you're at a million dollar home, the days on market might be 60. Who knows, right? So, not every price point is a strong seller's market. So, those are important things to look at. Like real estate's very local. You need to look at the the price ranges of listings you're going on and looking at the data specific to that, not the whole MLS or the whole broad market in a sense. So I think there are a lot of things like that that are very important that will really help you in pricing. Um, But I think overall, from what Jeff shared today, that gives you a general idea of just using that four model works really well to give you a basic idea. And typically in our experience, that number that you get when you average those four um, numbers out is going to get you within one to 2% of the sale price. So it's 500 grand, it's going to get you within 490 or 510, plus or 1% to 2%, typically, if the house is in up- updated fair market condition. So I'd say the takeaways from this are knowing the numbers to pull, being able to compare apples to apples on your comparables, no more than five of each in each category, five active, 500 contract, five sold, you know everything about those properties backward and forward. Know everything about the subdivision as well, although it might be in the not not be in the comparables that you're showing. You should still have a separate report for two stories, for you know, story and a half for foreclosures, things like that. So that if the, if the conversation does come up from the seller, you're going to be able to speak intelligently about it. Anything else to add in before we kind of wrap up, Jeff? No, I, I think
1: those are all extremely important important places to start. Uh, And the reality is you'll get better at it the more houses that you see. And that's why it's extremely important to go see properties and then wait 30 days later to see what it actually sells for. Or if the property that you went to go see and preview is still on the market 30 days later, you're going to know that that property is overpriced. And that's one thing that helped me tremendously in the very beginning. And that's what I would do on the weekends. I would go preview 10 houses just around my area, around my neighborhood, and I would go look at them. I'd just write them down on a list. I'd keep track of them. I'd say, oh, I've been in that property. I knew what it looked like. I knew what it listed for. And then I would know what it sold for. And that's how I learned the market around me. And Mm -hmm. that's the key thing in the very beginning. You need to go look at as many houses and properties as you possibly can in order to get a good idea of what they're going to sell for. Um, And the only person that's going to benefit from that is you. And it's gonna make all of your conversations a million times easier with sellers, especially the ones that are around your area when you go on appointments and you can say, yep, I've been in that house. It looked like X, Y, Z and it sold for X, Y, Z. So go preview houses. Definitely that helped a ton in the very beginning. So go preview 10 houses this weekend.
0: Yep, there you go. Great point. Yeah, (laughs) that's it. All right, my man, well, I appreciate you being on. There's no other questions popping in. So we'll wrap it up here, but thank you so much for being on. There's a lot of great information. We appreciate it.